What's up? And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Academics Podcast. Today's episode features a very special guest by the name of Chip Peck. Chip is a senior recruiter at In Ocean USA, based here in Orange County, California. I first met Chip almost two years ago now as a member of the PRSSA while I was in college. Um, as a member of PRSSA, we would go on agency tours, and one of those agencies that I had the opportunity to tour was Saatchi and Saatchi LA, which is Chip's former employer. He was our tour guide and an all-around awesome guy, so um, you know I was able to connect with him then, and I later ran into Chip at a couple of different networking events uh, within the past year. As I mentioned, Chip works at InOcean USA. InOcean is a full-service creative advertising agency who believes in ideas that make a difference. As a global marketing and communications company, InOcean pursues the greatest value through the realization of innovative communications based on creative thinking and a challenging spirit. Their slogan is discover innovative power in you. With 19 overseas operations and over 2,000 employees, InOcean is a true global marketing communications company that provides total marketing solutions for clients. You all are in for a great informative episode with a very talented and experienced recruiter, so make sure you take notes. Here it is, Chip Peck from InOcean USA. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Chip Peck. He is the senior recruiter at InOcean USA. Chip, I am excited we finally got a chance to do this. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you? Great, Justin. Likewise, I'm, I'm, it's been a while in the making, but I'm glad we were able to finally connect and, and have a good conversation. Excited. Yeah, it definitely has been a while. This is a fun fact. Like You were, you were actually the first recruiter in the advertising industry that I met when I first um, started at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Uh, I joined a group called the PRSSA, and we would do these agency tours. And the first agency tour that we did in my session was to Saatchi and Saatchi, which was your former employer. And you were our tour guide. So, um, you know, we, we connected like a year and a half to two years ago, maybe. And, um, you know, we've, we've kind of seen each other at different events in between that time. So it's, it's good to finally connect with you and do this. Yeah. It's crazy how long it's been. It's already been two years. And yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, you are a senior recruiter at InOcean. How did you end up in recruiting? And more specifically, how did you end up in advertising? I think I kind of, I fell into recruiting because it was uh, something that I was interested in doing through informational interviews when I was in college and went to work for a small restaurant company here in Southern California. And it was myself as the recruiter and my boss, who was the director of HR, so he kind of handed everything to me and said, recruit, figure it out. Um, so I hired, you know, I had to put together a whole plan and everything, but I, I got really excited about it when I realized uh, that I could you know, interact and talk with people on a daily basis and just really kind of have a, a meaningful impact in their life, specifically kind of helping them with their career and whatnot. Um, so I kind of got it. I guess a little by accident. I mean, I, I was hired for the role, but I didn't go to school for it. So uh, kind of stumbled into it just through experience, I guess you could say. Um, and I made my way to advertising through just a kind of a, a combination of a professional and personal network that I have. I have several friends that have been in advertising for years. Um, and I was in technology recruiting prior, and I was talking with a good friend of mine. Um, this is probably close to like 12 years ago now. We were just talking about what he did in advertising and, and the world of advertising, and I just became very passionate about it. And uh, was like, I would love to be in that industry someday because it just seems like it aligns with so much of what I'm interested in and, and what I'm passionate about. Um, and we just stayed in touch throughout the years. Um, and I was looking to make a career change, found a great opportunity at Saatchi and Saatchi and reached out to my friend um, who we had stayed in touch with, uh, stayed in touch over the years. Um, and he took my resume, gave it to one of the recruiters who passed along to my boss. And that's how I ended up in advertising. But uh, it was a long time coming because I think it was probably like seven or eight years after I originally had that conversation with him. So. Um, it kind of goes to what I think we'll probably talk about a little bit later with regards to my network um, and, and, you know, building a good network and having that network just work for you when you want a new opportunity, because that's what I did. And that's how I ended up in advertising. Yes, definitely. We'll, we definitely will get into that a little bit later. You are at InOcean now. So can you tell the, the listeners a little bit about the agency and, um, you know, exactly who they are and what they do? Sure. Yeah. So InOcean USA is part of 
in OSHID worldwide. So it's a, it's a worldwide agency, but uh, every office has its own set of clients and everything. Um, this office here in Southern California was founded about 11 years ago uh, as a partnership to be the advertising agency for Hyundai. Um, so there's a, kind of an affiliation there. There's some investors and, and whatnot from um, the family that owns Hyundai that also is invested in Ocean. So we are a full service creative advertising agency, uh, predominantly focused on automotive because Hyundai and Genesis are our two main clients. Uh, but we've got a great kind of general group, general business and new business account um, that's got some other really cool clients that they work with, some fast food like Wiener Schnitzel is one of our clients. Um, and then we also have a really cool signature kitchen suite, SKS, um, high-end appliances. Uh, we do tailor-made golf. It's a bunch of other stuff. So it's, it's kind of cool because it's a full-service agency that really has an emphasis in, advertise, or in the automotive, but um, is really starting to expand business into, into other verticals and whatnot. So kind of cool. We're, we're in a good space right now and going through some good growth and development. So excited to see what the, what the future holds. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I've looked in the, uh, in Ocean. I've been, you know, I'm very curious about the agencies, uh, within the LA area. I know you guys are in Orange County, but, um, you know, I, I try to familiarize myself with as many agencies as possible. And, you know, every time I, I hear or speak to someone from an ocean, I, I hear um, nothing but, but positive feedback. So they they, they really have a, a good reputation good. here in LA. So yeah, definitely. Um, nice. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what people are actually here to, to hear. Most people who are listeners of the podcast are students. And I think you being a recruiter and probably speaking to students and, and doing the, the agency tours and things that you do, the questions that you get are probably repetitive in a sense, but these are the, the questions that people are always hungry for. So mm. one of the biggest questions that, that you know I often heard when I was on these listening to, to panel discussions and things were questions about resumes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you know resumes and how you look at resumes as a recruiter. What do you think makes a good resume? Oh man, um, <laughs> that, that's a that's a good question. Um, I, I think there's kind of two pieces of advice that I, I typically kind of use to guide people into thinking about what they want to put on their resume and how they want to communicate it. Uh, I think first and foremost, you know, you're and this is becoming even more prevalent now is you want your resume to be an extension of you. So if you want it to be creative, if you want to have some color, if you want to have some unique design or whatever in the industry that you're interested in um, or the roles that you're going for allow for that, then then by all means, uh, you know, but I, I think you, you need to keep in mind that because you want your resume to be an extension of who you are. You want to have a bit of an authentic voice behind it, you know, and that goes from everything from kind of your professional statement or, you know, your kind of your professional summary that you would include across the top to kind of really summarize who you are. It's also good for an elevator pitch, kind of so everything's aligned there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, from that down to talking about what you do at, you know, in your current role and your previous jobs and things like that and your interests and whatnot. So you want to kind of make sure that, that, it doesn't sound um, overly static, you know, or, or overly um, professional, not, not overly professional, but you like I said, you want to kind of keep that authentic voice there. Um, the other thing I always tell people to do, and so many people miss this, and I think it's such a great opportunity for many reasons, uh, is as you are looking at your roles and responsibilities in these different companies and places that you've worked or, or whatever, you always want to think to yourself, how did my job affect the company? Um, and there's a couple of ways you can look at how did my job, how did what I do save the company money, make the company money, improve a process, um, improve turnaround, decrease errors, win new business, whatever. You know, so you want to see how you can capture what you did or what you are doing in your current role and how it is impacting the company. Because uh, lots of times hiring managers and even recruiters will look for that. That's a great, you know, if, if you want to talk about how what you did increased sales at a company by 50%, you want to put that in there because that's very eye-catching in a resume. Mm -hmm. Also important is it's great for a conversation when you get into an interview. Um, 
both for the person that's interviewing you, you're kind of giving them things to talk about, or if they miss that opportunity to talk about it, you can refer back to it and it's on your resume. So there's it's a great talking point too. So again, it kind of goes back to the whole thing. This is like a living, breathing document. It has to be authentic and you have to be able to kind of speak to the things you did. Um, but you know, more importantly, is if you can tie that into how you impacted the success of the company, that speaks volumes to people that are looking at your resume. So I would say those are the kind of the two pieces of advice that I use um, generally, you know, kind of overall and then get into more specifics. But that's kind of where I would encourage people to, when I'm, to start when they're, when they're looking at their resume. Great advice. Great advice. Um, are you a fan of cover letters? And do you think they're really necessary? Oh, man, that's like the age old question. I think every recruiter gets asked. And it, it, I always tell people, I say everybody, every recruiter that you ask will give you a different answer. So you, again, have to go back. And if it is important for you to have this cover letter and, and there's something that you need to share in that cover letter, then by all means. But that being said, as a rule of thumb, I'm not a huge fan of them uh, because you, everything that you're saying in your cover letter should be in your resume. And if you're repeating what's in your resume, then you're just kind of wasting your time. You're not really bringing anything additional to the table. So that's why I tend to not have as big of an admiration for cover letters as, as others do. That being said, if you are putting together a cover letter, you know, you want to keep it as simple and concise as possible. You know, maybe two paragraphs with like three or four sentences. So I'm not spending five minutes reading, you know, a, a single spaced full page cover letter because I'll lose interest. And within those two paragraphs, you want to speak specifically to the role or to the opportunity or to the organization. Because um, if you're just giving fluff, again, if you're just telling me what's already in your resume, you're wasting my time, you've wasted your time putting it together. So, you know, just as much as a resume needs to be a living, breathing document, a cover letter should be practically a new document every single time you start. Certainly have the skeleton, you know, the bones um, to put some meat to, but unless you're kind of really addressing something that, you know, is, is unique or specific, um, I feel like you should be covering it in your resume. So I don't know. I go back and forth. Some days I'm on board with it. Other days I'm not, you know, and like I said, for those that want it, just make it authentic. Mm -hmm. What about like, let's say entry level candidate comes in, are you speaking with the entry level candidate reviewing a resume? Um, does the length of the resume matter? Because I've heard like it should be ne never be more than one page. Is, is that true? Is that something you pay attention to? Or is that just like something that they tell you in school? <laughs> I mean, I think to a certain degree, it's true. It, you know, if I even with people that have been in the industry for 30 or 40 years, if I see a six page resume, I there's just something where I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's going to be so much information in here. It's going to be so overwhelming. And I'm immediately going into it with, with a bit of a bias. So I think perhaps that exists as well. I'm not as hung up on it. Like if, if you've got a two page or a page and a half resume, I'm, you know, I'm not going to disqualify you. I'm not going to not consider you because of that. But that being said, other people may, there, there might be somebody out there that is a that's a, a stickler for, you know, hey, if you're entry level, I don't want to see more than a page. And really, you shouldn't fill out more than a page with, with the information that you want on a professional resume if you're an entry level person, because there's not going to be a whole lot that you have in the way of experience right now. So, you know, I, I think mm -hmm. generally speaking, the rule of thumb is keep it at a page, you know, as you get more in your professional career, two pages, sometimes three pages, just depending. Um, I think is acceptable. And and in lieu of like more current events, in your opinion, what what's the best way that a candidate now can stand out in this new like virtual world that we're living in, where everything is done via online, uh, Zoom, et cetera? Yeah, right. Changing, and and I, I think yeah. we're in an interesting situation where I don't know if we will go back to business as usual as the way it was run prior to this pandemic and and all sorts of other things in the economy and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so I think. Now is a perfect time to adapt and learn and master techniques around networking <clears throat> and building your connections. Because that to me is, you ask anybody that I talk to about how to find a career, 
that's what they're going to tell you. I, I, I come back to is that networking idea, building your network, using LinkedIn, using um, local groups, you know, that, that you align with professionally and personally too, is all of that is your network. And, you know, I even go so far as to say that, you know, if, if you go to a house of worship, if you have a faith, that, that can be part of your network as well, because you interact with all these different people in the community. You never know what sort of opportunities may exist to, to connect with somebody. So networking is, is far above the, any other method or tool or strategy to find a career and, and using that network and building that network and nurturing and fostering and growing it is, is so important. And now with, with kind of the, the lack of human interaction for the time being, um, technology has really stepped up and LinkedIn is, is one of the kind of foundational pieces of technology that exists. I mean, it was created to be a professional network, you yeah. know, so people that, that look at that or maybe are, are fearful or think, well, you know, I don't know these people that don't want to connect with me. That's not true. That's what it's designed for. You know, so really focusing on that right now, I think is, is incredibly important because it's also going to build good practice down the road, you know, and so it'll help you, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now and further. So yeah. networking is it. So in the past few months, you know, we've seen massive job loss uh, to COVID-19 and not only mm -hmm. in, in the world, but like in the industry specifically, we've seen a lot of agencies even close their doors down. You know, early on in the, in the pandemic, I, I lost a, a job opportunity and, and it was crushing because when you go on LinkedIn and you and you apply for these jobs, you see how many people have applied and it, it's kind of overwhelming saying, you know, how high the odds are stacked against you. Um, so what, what advice can you give to those people who are struggling to kind of gain traction and, and find interviews and land jobs? What, what advice can you give them that are those people that are listening now? Oh, such a good question, Justin. And it's a crazy time right now. I mean, I've, I've recently been connecting with a lot of people that are struggling to find opportunities for whatever reason, be it industry or experience or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think emotionally, like an emotional piece of advice that, that I would give to people right now is recognize that we are in a very unique situation. For a lot of people, the last time there was a major financial shift like this was, what, 2008, 2009? So it's over a decade. So there's, there's most of the people um, that are, that are, have been working in the la over the last 10 years or even even beyond may not have ever experienced something like this so you kind of have to understand i think first and foremost that we're operating in a in a kind of a unique situation with the pandemic and everything else you know so come at it with a bit of grace and give yourself a little bit of of um compassion you know and recognize your successes even if the success is no you didn't get a job Hey, at least you reached out. At least you interviewed. You know, at least you got that far. However far you got, recognize that, um, and and kind of use that as a motivator to continue to move forward. Because yeah, it's a lot harder right now. One hundred percent. I I will not deny that because there are, like you said, some agencies have laid off, some have closed doors. So there's a lot more people in the market, mm -hmm. um, which is why networking and connecting with people. Um, and and understanding the industry better and doing informational interviews and just asking questions about why people do what they do and how they do what they do and you know just expressing interest in people and building that network is so important because if you don't and you go to Indeed or LinkedIn and you apply for these jobs, you're like you said, you're seeing the numbers. I talked with somebody the other day that was looking for a director of data analytics. And she applied to a position for Slack up in San Francisco. 800 people applied to that position. So, I mean, it's, it's insane. So when you do that, you're playing a really risky numbers game. You know, it's like, I don't think I know anybody that will go to Vegas with the odds of you getting an interview and one in 800 by just applying. Mm -hmm. you know, those, are, those are bad odds. So I always tell people, like, don't, you can do that. If you want to apply to those positions, by all means. But as your job search in a, 
in, in a whole and all of the things you should be doing that should be much lower on the scale um, than networking because you know those two in, in combination are going to be great and i'm not saying don't look for jobs because absolutely you need to be applying but how much better would it be if you applied to a position where you already knew a few people in the organization and you had spent the last three months developing professional relationships and you had informational interviews and you know all these other things and when we get back to face to face it's great go get coffee go get lunch whatever building these relationships if you have that kind of connection and you apply to a position that's got 800 people that have applied and you reach out to these people and you say hey just so you know i i have so much respect and ad for admiration for you and what you've done in your organization and i told you i was passionate and i was going to keep an eye out on the career page guess what? I found a job that I absolutely love. Here it is. I applied. Thank you so much. You don't even have to ask them to do anything because who knows if they take your resume to the hiring manager or better yet to the recruiter, you've completely changed the odds. You are now no longer one in 800. You were probably like one in 10 or maybe one in 12, it, it, you know, depending on how many people make it to the interview process. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be one in 12 than one in 800. You know, so I think, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, it's like building that network, that's so important. But also know that you, it, people that are looking for jobs right now are, are, are struggling and it's tough um, and things will change. And there are companies that are hiring out there. I see it all the time. And I think that's also kind of unique too, is that there's companies hiring, but there's so many people out there that there's just kind of this almost like this system overload, you know? And so there's there's this kind of missed opportunity, especially when you're kind of going about that route of just applying and not really knowing anybody and not using your network. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of some of the advice and kind of some of the things that I would suggest for people, especially navigating in such a crazy time that we're in right now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good advice. Um, you know, what, what about, you know, the, there are some people who are not able to, you know, network or may not, you know, have the knowledge or the wittiness to, to know exactly where to be and, and who to talk to. And, you know, some people just are only able to apply whether the numbers are stacked against them or not, you know? So the question is, you know, is, is there a best way to apply? Like, is LinkedIn the best place to apply or should you go directly to a company's website to apply? And does that on your end, when you get applications through different uh, ways or is it all bunched together? No, they typically will all be together. I mean, most companies use what's called an applicant tracking system or ATS. Mm -hmm. So an ATS is basically just a big database of all of the jobs open mm -hmm. and everybody that applied. So if you're going through that process and you're not, you're not focusing as much on networking and you're really just applying to roles, especially on LinkedIn, if you're applying to positions, see if you can find out who the job poster is. Sometimes mm -hmm. they will, like I put my name on all of the jobs I post. There's an option on LinkedIn that says, you know, do you want to share your contact information? It's like, sure, why not? Um, I don't know why recruiters wouldn't, other than I think they have this fear that like hundreds of people are going to email them. I rarely have that problem. I don't have, I have maybe a handful of people a week reach out to me directly because of a posting. Mm -hmm. So if you're struggling with networking or you haven't found your footing or you just don't really know how to kind of engage in all that, um, you know, a clever way is on LinkedIn, find out who the job poster is. Sometimes they've got their email address as part of their contact information on their LinkedIn profile. If they don't, you can still connect with them and send them a message and tell them that you applied. And when you reach out, you know, that's a great opportunity to kind of use your elevator pitch or your cover letter in the communication with them. You know, like if you're applying to a position and, and I'm the recruiter and you want to reach out to me, reach out to me with some very viable facts about the role and why you would be a good person. Hey, I need somebody to do X, Y, Z. I've done X, Y, Z. Make the alignment in that communication because I think that will help certainly improve your odds a little bit. Another another issue that we're all going through outside of, you know, the pandemic is and the job loss. And there's there's a there's been, you know, a big focus on on diversity within the industry. You know, lately it's been at the forefront. Um, a lot of agencies have 
made commitments to hire X amount of employees or change their ways and, and their practices in, in different ways. And, you know, you've been around the industry for a while and I think you've saw, you've seen different waves of this come and go um, for mm -hmm. different, for different groups. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, does this one feel different to you? And are you optimistic that we will see more change? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I've, I've been doing this for enough time that I have seen different waves, even before advertising um, in the tech space. There was lots and lots of conversation about this for years. Women in technology, minorities in technology never existed. It was very whitewashed. Mm -hmm. you know, so there's, there's always been kind of this underlying conversation around how do we find these people? How do we engage with these people? How do we attract these, these talented people to our organization? Um, but it was almost kind of, I don't want to say it was lip service because I don't believe it, it was, it was that insincere. I, I do believe that there were movements and, and major conversations um, and changes that took place um, that I think were really valuable and that and certainly have their merit. But this time around, you know, it's interesting, Justin, because I feel like there's there's a there's a, a major cultural shift. Mm -hmm. um, I hear people saying things and talking about things, um, especially in advertising, um, that they wouldn't have talked about five, six, seven, ten years ago. I don't know. It, it, it and, and when I say that, I mean. And, and I'll speak a very specific example that, that I can talk to about what's happening in an ocean is uh, part of the reason I came to the organization, certainly from a recruiting standpoint, is to, to really figure out strategic ways to attract new talent, but was also really to look at what was going on from a diversity standpoint, um, from a recruiting standpoint, but also from an employee engagement standpoint. We just didn't have any, we were not having conversations about any of this, you know, and, and bringing your authentic self means bringing your whole self. And how do you do that? And how do you create a safe space? So that was part of what I, what I came on board. But interestingly, um, over the last several months, there has been a truly grassroots group of people at an ocean that have said, uh, enough, we've got to do something about this. And so um, as that started to really pick up momentum, um, you know, uh, our president and our chief operating officer um, both stepped in and were incredibly vocal about the necessity for this and the urgency behind this. And let's get this going. Um, and let's make sure it's sustainable and tell us what you need, you know, and was really driving a lot of the conversation. But as a, as a older white, white gentleman, he was very respectful in the fact that he didn't lead the conversations and he didn't suggest here's what you should do he just let this all organically happen um and it's been absolutely incredible so you know that's what i mean when i i say i hear people having conversations that they didn't have these kind of conversations five ten years ago you yeah. know coos did not step up and say absolutely not we we will not behave this way anymore we need to categorically change how we do business and our president saying the same thing and getting behind this and saying, you know, sending an email out to the entire agency to say, this is what we're doing. We want you to hold us accountable. I don't remember the last time it went that deep. Um, so I'm really encouraged. And I, I think that it's, um, it's a, I always say it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, you mm -hmm. know, but I, I think we've, we've started off strong and I, I think that that's going to really help us and carry us through. And I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. I'm encouraged by the um, honest, uncomfortable um, kind of getting to the core of some of these things that have existed for quite a while, you know, and even myself, I have to take a look at that too, you know, because I have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations and look inwardly. So you know, I see that happening a lot and I'm, I'm encouraged by it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'm very optimistic at where I, where I see this going and I'm, I'm excited to see it continue and the conversations continue. Yeah, that, that's good to hear. It's good to hear about, you know, the, the agency leadership, uh, you know, kind of being open and listening. Um, it's good to hear you, you know, doing self-reflection. It's good to, to see the industry as a whole doing that. And I am optimistic as well. Um, good. You know, every, the fact that conversation is happening is, is you know, progress in itself it's not enough but this is definitely something that i don't think yeah. 
many people have seen. But yeah, let's let's get back to. Um, I know I know you spent a great deal of I know you spent a great deal of time working with students and people looking to work in the industry. Um, you know, what are some common misconceptions that you constantly see from, are you consistently see uh, from, you know, younger talent trying to get into the industry? Yeah. What are some common misconceptions about landing that first job that you, that you see? I, I think the, the challenge that, that students have is they don't see their value. They don't know their worth um, because they'll look at a job description and it'll say, you know, two years of this and, and three years of this specific skill set and must be knowledgeable with this software and all of that. Job descriptions are really a, a wish list. You know, it's kind of like, give me everything. Think of it as like the Christmas list that you created as a kid. Remember, it's like you like listed everything you wanted and you're like, okay, I hope I get like two or three or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing with a job description. It's like a list of all of the skills and traits and characteristics and, and everything that we would love to have in the perfect candidate. And I put air quotes around perfect because, you know, that, that doesn't exist. So people will read that and they will think, oh, I don't have that. I don't have that either. You know, and then as they go down a list and they kind of check up all the boxes of things they don't have, they get discouraged and they don't apply. I'm not saying apply to every single position because you really have to be meaningful and, and purposeful in what you apply for and make sure that there is some alignment. But, but people need to realize, especially students um, and, and people coming into the workforce in that entry-level space, is that they bring a lot more value and a lot more knowledge and a lot more experience than they think they do. Meaning when I talk to a hiring manager and I go over a job description and I do a kickoff, I, I do what's called a, a recruiting kickoff. And I talk to the hiring manager. We don't go over the job description because I've read it. I know it. I understand what they're about. What I ask the hiring manager is, what are you looking for in an ideal candidate? What would be some of the skills that you think would be important for somebody to bring to this role and, and across the board, but specifically to entry level, nine times out of 10, they don't talk about hard skills. They don't talk about Excel knowledge or some sort of software that you need to know. They talk about soft skills. Mm-hmm. They talk about effective communication, managing multiple priorities, dealing with difficult clients, working well on a team, being responsible, following up, all of these soft skills. All of us possess. Every single one of us has the ability to to be an effective communicator and to you know to follow up on timelines and to work well on the team. And we've all done a lot of that. We just don't recognize it, you know. So I think that when you stop thinking about a job description as kind of what you must have and start thinking about what you're bringing to an organization, especially from a soft skill standpoint, that's when it starts to shift. And then understanding where your strengths are in your soft skills. You know, if you're an effective communicator, then you need to figure out some stories that you can share with hiring managers as to how you're an effective communicator. And maybe that one story is how being an effective communicator helped you deal with a difficult client. And another effect, another effective communication uh, story could be around how you dealt with a a difficult situation on your team um, or whatever. So, Spend some time understanding your soft skills and kind of what what strengths you bring in that area, and then start to build stories around some of the experiences you've had as a you know part time job, as an internship, working um, you know a part time job while going to school, um, and then dealing with all the other things. There's there's so many stories that exist and so many skills that we already have. We just need to figure out how to take that information that we do basically to exist every day and translate that into meaningful conversations and stories that we can share with hiring teams and recruiters at agencies where we want to work. So then they say, oh, you know what? That person's got all the soft skills I need. I can train them how to use Excel. I can train them how to use programmatic or whatever tools that exist that need to be trained. I can train you on that stuff all day long. I can't train you to be um, big be good at managing multiple priorities, you know, and, and things like that. So if you bring that set of skills with some good conversational stories around it, that's one of the best ways to really kind of break through. And again, all of this that I'm sharing are also great tools that you can use when you're networking. When you're doing informational interviews, you can start listening for, and you can start asking questions of hiring managers. 
and and you can start to really understand then too what are they looking for and start to build that into your conversation so i think there's this misperception that that we want you to have everything and yeah there are agencies out there and there are companies out there that are going to disqualify you because it doesn't say two years on your resume of a certain skill you know and whatnot Mm-hmm. Just keep in mind that that has very little to do with you. They are somebody has told that recruiter at some point that this is what they absolutely must have. So if they're missing out on you because you don't have two years of certain skill set, do you really want to work at a company like that anyway? Because it just seems so restrictive anyway. I you know so don't get hung up on feeling like you have to have all of those skills. But I think that's like one of the biggest misperceptions that happens. When, when people are looking for, for um, you know, full-time opportunities, especially kind of getting out of college and going into their first job. Yeah, that's some advice I wish I would have uh, heard early on when I was early in <laughs> jobs because that was that's the most stressful part. And I think that's one of the things that you hear the most often when you talk to people who are frustrated about, you know, looking yeah. for jobs is they say they want this amount of years of experience. Well, how am I going to get that experience if you don't hire me and, like that's like the common thing that you hear. So yeah, definitely good advice. I know I can tell by how passionate you are about your job, you know, just how long you've been in it and how good you are at it. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what is the most rewarding part of what you do? Oh man, there's, there's a lot of cool things that I, that are a part of my job. I think the most rewarding is when I get to call somebody and offer them a job, mm. you know, it's like I, we've been, working through it for two, three, four, five months, I don't know, however long, you know, and to kind of come to that point and get to that point where I can call somebody and say, you did it. They love you. Let's do it. You know, just to be able to share that excitement and that passion Um, because it's rewarding in many ways because it's the end of a really crazy journey, sometimes usually incredibly stressful. So you can celebrate that. Um, But I also... And it, it goes back to what I said way back in the beginning and how I got into recruiting and why I'm still doing it is because there's just that, that I, I love being able to help somebody get to that next step in their career, that first step in their career. And just to be able to share in that success is just all the reward. It, it, that's like certainly one of the greatest things. I think one of the other things I love too is just the number of people that I connect with. The fact that I just have the ability to talk with so many different people, um, you know, and and people trust me with such an important part of their life. You know, I take that really seriously, you know, and so and I had a, a really amazing mentor years ago that she told me, she said, Chip, you people are trusting you with a major part of their life and, and, and are trusting you to help them figure out what to do next with their career. She said, don't ever take that for granted. And I don't. You know, and I, I think that's the other thing too is, is the number of people that I've come in contact with and the experiences that I've had is incredible. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm sure you know, with with all the positives that come with it, there are some challenges that you face. You know, what what what's like the biggest challenge that that comes from you know being a recruiter? I think it's just, it, especially in this day and age, with all the pieces of technology that that recruiters have at their disposal, it can create a bit of an impersonal relationship mm-hmm. uh, with with candidates, and it's real easy for us to forget candidates, forget to follow up, forget to let them know that the position was filled, you know, any number of things like that. And most recruiters that are that are good that are supposed to be recruiters um, struggle with that because there's just so much going on, you know? So I think that's one of the the hardest parts. I think certainly the hardest part for me is always consistently having to follow up with people and and let them know that they didn't get the job, especially if we've been going through this journey and they're, you know, one of the top three, but unfortunately they're two of the three that didn't get selected. You know, that's, that's hard um, because I've been there, you know, and I think that that's also the, the thing that is important is you can tell a good recruiter still has empathy because they've been there. I've been in that situation. I've been rejected for, for jobs and for careers. So I know what it feels like. So I always try and carry that into my conversation, you know, and, and sometimes, yeah, I have to be callous and I have to send a general email to say, sorry, um, you know, but, but more often than not, especially if people get further along in the process, 
um, that, that, that's such a tough conversation to have because I just know how hard people work to get to get to that point. So yeah, there's, there's definitely yeah. a lot of positives, but there's a fair share of negatives as well, for sure. One of, one of the reasons, well, the biggest reason why I decided to start this podcast was, you know, I was, as a student, I was, um, you know, very focused and driven and I knew what I wanted to do. And I was kind of confused as to why my classmates didn't have like a clear path or a goal and what they wanted to do. They were just, you know, studying advertising and didn't know what would happen or had no goals of, you know, of the industry. And they didn't know exactly what, where they wanted to land within advertising. And as I was, you know, doing my personal research, I was having these, I was asking people to do informational interviews and I was learning about all the different roles within advertising. Um, and I think, you know, through doing this podcast and, and uh, through talking to my listeners, um, it has really helped them kind of figure out all the different career paths within this industry. And I think one that is never mentioned in school is, you know, the HR route or the recruiter route. Um, yeah. So for, for people who are interested in advertising, but don't necessarily want to be a copywriter or an account executive or any of those things, and they, they want to work with people and talk to people and enjoy, you know, be able to enjoy a position as you do within this industry. What are some traits that are key uh, when you're hiring a recruiter, a junior a coordinator or someone in, in the NHR, you know, what type of people are the best fit for, for those type of positions? Hmm. I think recruiting in HR Specifically recruiting, because HR is, is a little bit different. There's there's kind of a, you can go to school for HR, yeah. you know, not necessarily for recruiting. But I think either, you know, in, in the HR world in which recruiting is part of, I think a lot of what I look for, um, especially with recruiters or anybody that's looking to get into that side of the industry, is you cannot be afraid to talk to people. That doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert because I know a bunch of introverts that are recruiters and they're amazing. It doesn't mean that you need to kind of have that kind of outgoing, crazy, you know, everybody loves you at a party kind of attitude. But you have to be willing to talk to people. You have to be willing to connect with people. And you have to have also, you have to have some empathy. You know, like I was saying earlier, uh, this is a huge decision. It's, it's kind of like when you when you go to buy a house, you just don't, go anywhere. You want to go to some place that's probably a referral that somebody's going to take care of you and, and knows you and is concerned about your well-being. Same kind of thing really is is applicable to recruiting. It's like good recruiters know how to network, know how to listen, know how to talk to people, um, you know, and, and how to think kind of think strategically. You know, it's like I I after I got out of um school and went into the restaurant business. I was only a recruiter in that industry for about two years. Um, and then I went to the staffing industry and eventually into technology. I could talk with anybody in a technology role, even though I may not know anything about what they are, what they do. And I could just ask enough questions to figure out kind of how to have some conversations and make the connections based on other things that I've heard before. Mm -hmm. So to really be able to network and communicate and, and listen and be, be um, I, think, I think the new term is kind of have a high level of emotional intelligence around um, people and what they need and what they're you know, looking for and what they wanna do. I think that's really important um, as a recruiter um, and it, certainly as an HR person as well, <clears throat> you know, cause as, on the HR side, you're taking care of the employees. So you have to be, you have to have a degree of empathy for that and be able to really be able to listen um, and understand people, um, you know, and, you know, um, be able to effectively kind of walk them through whatever they need to be walked through and, and kind of support them while you're still keeping the interest of the company in mind too, because you have to kind of protect the company, so to speak. Um, so I, I think there's, you know, again, a lot of the, the skills that you would bring to recruiting and HR are soft skills. You know, we'll teach you the rest. We, you know, we'll we'll help you figure out. You know, if you need a certification for something, or if you need to go to, you know, a, a seminar for something or whatever, we can take care of that. Mm -hmm. We want you to come here knowing, um, you know, again, the same thing. I want somebody that's eager and willing to learn and will jump in and roll up their sleeves and do what they need to do to get it done. I'll take that over somebody that's got three degrees and all sorts of certifications. Mm -hmm. any day because it's just you know I, I want somebody that's willing more than i would want somebody that's able 
and because I, I you know I can I can train them on that stuff. It's hard to really get somebody to break old habits and things like that. So yeah, I, I think a lot of it's soft skills. You know, and, and, and you can come from any different background. I mean, I know people that are English majors, that are history majors, that are psychology majors, that are communication majors. All of these types of people are in HR. So you don't necessarily even have to come to the HR world with a specific degree. You can get all that later. Mm-hmm. With, with all the experience you've, you've acquired over the years, um, you know, knowing all that you know, based on your experience, if you could go back in time and talk to your, your, your younger self who was first getting into HR at that first restaurant job, um, you know, what advice would you give yourself about your career or life? <laughs> That's, I, have a, I think there's two like, pieces of advice that I would, I would probably give myself and that I would also, that, I, that, it, that you will hear me share quite often. Um, one of them, and I've already kind of talked about this, is, is know that you have worth. Know that you have value. Um, there was a, a great conversation I had the other day with somebody, and they said, be confident in your competence. And I was like, that's amazing, you know, because we all have certain skills and know what those are and be confident in that because that carries you so much further. And, and it's not about bragging and it's not about being boastful. It's just about saying, look, I'm really good at this, and this is what I can bring to the organization. So you should bring me on because I, I will add a, a great amount of value. And knowing that, I think, is important. So kind of knowing your, knowing that you are worthy and knowing that you have value, I think, is something that I would definitely share with anybody, certainly my younger self. Um, the other piece of advice that I, that I say is throughout this process throughout your career search throughout your career you will shift jobs and you will shift careers potentially um you will get way more no's and rejections than you will get yeses you know and learning to understand and know that those rejections 99 percent of the time have nothing to do with you and understanding that and in Doing your best not to take that on as a personal reflection of who you are, I think, is is so important to learn. And it's hard. I, you know, I mean, none of us like rejection, so I, I think it just goes against our grain. But when you look at this rejection, in, especially in the career sense, and realize that almost every single time you are you get a rejection, it's not because of you. <clears throat> it's going to really help you. Uh, stay focused on what you do bring and what you do have to offer, you know, and, and just kind of a side note to that, that whole, uh, you know, looking at no and, and not taking it as a personal rejection. Um, the other thing I say to people is, um, especially around networking, you know, when you are afraid to reach out to total strangers because it's so foreign and it's unusual, you know, get a plan together on how you want to do it and do it. But more importantly, if you see an opportunity or to connect with somebody or an opportunity to apply for a role that you're interested in um, and it's going to challenge you, don't say no to that. Don't say no to that opportunity. Don't say no to connecting with somebody because you're afraid. Because like I said, you're going to get plenty of no's through this process. Why would you say no to yourself? Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. The moment you say don't no to yourself, you remove any possibility of something happening. And so why would you do that? You know, if, if there's something you're passionate about, or you're excited about, but you're afraid, push past that fear. Do not let that fear drive you to a no, because you may, you may miss out on one of the most amazing opportunities to connect with somebody or one of the most amazing career opportunities you'll ever say. And if you say no, you've just missed it. So don't do that. Don't say no to yourself. That's the one piece of advice I would, I would say certainly pass along to younger people coming into the, the industry. And again, definitely something I would go back to myself and say. Yeah, Chip, you've given some great advice. And um, I have one more question that involves yeah. advice. And this one is for this one is for the, that person who is changing careers or getting into trying to get into the advertising field and looking to work at a full service agency like Saatchi and Saatchi or like an ocean, you know, what what advice would you give? Um, to them as they enter this this ad agency world. I'm going to sound like a broken record, Justin, because I'm going to say it again. The, advertise, the advertising industry is so small. It's mm-hmm. huge in the number of people, but 
it's so small in the fact that so many people know people. And if they don't know you, they know somebody that worked with you or whatever. So your network is so incredibly important, you know, in, in building that. And, you know, if, if to anybody that's listening, I will put this out there. If you don't know how to do that, then I will make sure that Justin has my contact information. And if you need to help, you need help strategizing how to do that, then let's connect because I'm more than happy to walk you through. It's not hard. You just got to figure out how to do it. Um, but that network is so important, especially in advertising. I had, my life is the perfect example of it. If I had not reached out to my friend when I saw this opportunity in Saatchi, I would have never gotten it. And I'll tell you why I know that for certain because when I got to my job, I went into the applicant tracking system, that, that software that I was talking about, and my name was in there with everybody else, but I had already been rejected by the person that was recruiting for it because I didn't have industry experience. So if I had not reached out to my friend and I had not used my network, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in, I wouldn't have had the, the great experience at Sachi and I wouldn't have this amazing opportunity that I have now at Inocean. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I sound like a broken record, but use your network. And if you don't know how to do it, you get my contact information and please contact me. I'll help you work through that. That is a great transition to my last question, which is Chip, how can the listeners get in touch with you if they want to reach out? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. Shoot me a message, especially if you're hearing it all all on this, please let me know that you heard it on Justin's podcast because I I would be absolutely willing to connect with you. Um, So LinkedIn is the best way to do it. Perfect. Chip, thank you so much for joining for joining me on the show. This was a great conversation. You dropped a lot of gems. A lot of people are going to take away some great advice from this. So thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Justin. It was a good time. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you want to keep up with us outside of these podcasts, make sure you follow us on Instagram. That's at Academics A-D-C-A-D-E-M-I-C-S. And you can follow me personally. My handle on all social platforms is at Justin D. Barnett. You can also email academicspodcast at gmail.com for any and all inquiries. Thank you. Class dismissed.